Hey everyone, this is Joseph Bosco, pastor of Highway Church. Thanks for joining us on our podcast. You know, all of us need the right kind of voices in our lives. Voices that inspire us to know the one who made us. Voices that awaken our divine destiny and reveal to us the goodness of God. Well, that's what this ministry is all about. So enjoy the message. God, my source. We're going to finish it today. This is part three. We're going to finish it today, and we're going to talk about money. Can you say that word? Money. Say moolah. Moolah. Say loot. Loot. Good. That's good. Money. Yeah, we're talking about provision, prosperity. God, my source. See, the Holy Spirit is wanting us to personally experience the abundant life, not only in our mind, in our emotions, in our body, in our uh, relationships, in our workplace, but in our finances as well. God is the God of abundance, more than you can ask or think of. And he wants you to have more provision, more, more revenue, more money in your life than you can ask for or imagine. And I know that that is probably hits most of the people listening to this funny. Because somewhere along the line, uh, people bought into a whisper from the enemy that you shouldn't talk about money in church. And worse than that, you, 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 you should um, welcome lack. In fact, there are many religious groups that take vows to poverty. And they do it because they feel it's honoring God. And that humility comes through poverty and nothing could be further from the truth. I've known people who were very poor and very arrogant. Who had an attitude, a chip on their shoulder. I've known people who were poor and were humble. I've known people who were rich and were humble. In fact, most of the wealthy people I've met were very humble. And I've known a lot of them. Not like what the media tells you. Tells you rich people are bad, right? We need to take money from the rich and give it to the poor. Robin Hood wasn't, uh, that was a movie, right? That was a, a vigilante. But the reality is, God wants you rich. Did he really say that in church? Well, I say it a lot, don't I, at Highway, right? Because it's true. And, and do yourself a favor, don't turn off what I'm about to say. Listen the whole way through, Okay? Because we want God as our source in life, not our paycheck, not our employer, not our business, not our investments. God our source. He wants to give you cities you didn't build, homes you didn't work for. I'm talking about supernatural provision. Let's get into the word. God my source. So in, in all of the things of God, there is his part, and then there's our part, right? God's part and our part. Well, you've got to know God's part or you can't do your part, right? Because if you don't know God's part, you're going to try and do his part, and it just doesn't work. Because only God can do what he can do, right? So God's part was to rescue us from sin. 
God's part was to redeem us from the curse of sin and reveal his will to us. Okay? He did that. How did he do that? Through his son. Jesus is the living word and the Bible is the written word. So through the living word of God, Christ came into the earth and he revealed the will of God to us. And we're going to look at it in the scriptures. A number of scriptures we're just going to read through. Because I want you to become grounded in the truth that God's blessing makes you rich. All right? I want you to become grounded in that. Because it's true. It's the scriptures. It's what the scriptures teach. Hallelujah. Lack was never a part of God's plan. That's what poverty is, severe lack, right? Lack is not a part of God's nature. Never has been, never will be. He lacks nothing. He has a, a super abundance of everything. He's the source of all that is good. Lack is as foreign to God as you can get. Now, we're not talking about people. We're talking about conditions, like lack. God loves everybody, so wherever you're at financially, God's totally for you. We're not talking about someone who might be living in poverty. That's not God's will for their lives. We're talking about a condition, not people. Are you with me? Hallelujah. So lack of any kind, a little bit or a lot, was never a part of God's plan. And we're not going to go through and read, but you can, if, you, if there's three places in the Bible, remember this, where you can clearly see the will of God, only three. One is before Adam sinned. You got to go way back to before sin. And you look and see, did God create man in lack? <laughs> not at all. He gave him paradise, an overabundance of, of food, of uh, precious gems and, and wealth. That's God's plan. That's, that's pre-sin, right? So that's the first place in the Bible you can look to see the will of God. The second place is in the ministry of Christ. What was the first thing Jesus said when he stood up in the temple and he, he read from the scroll of Isaiah in Luke chapter 4? He said, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. What's good news to someone who's poor? God, it's God's will for you to prosper. You don't have to be poor anymore. God has provided wealth for you through his son. It's not good news to a poor person that you stay poor and you're going to learn to be humble. Woohoo! Wonderful. <laughs> Preach it. Let's be real. Can we be honest? That's not good news. Humility, true Bible humility, is knowing who I am apart from Christ and who I am in Christ. That's godly humility, right? Knowing who I am apart from Christ, I can do nothing. In Christ, I can do all things. That's real humility. It has nothing to do with what I have or don't have. It's knowing who he is, okay? Hallelujah. So through Christ, Jesus came into the earth. The living word was manifest in flesh, and he revealed the will of God to us. And the first statement out of his mouth before he began his ministry was that the spirit of the Lord is upon me to preach the good news to the poor. Wow. God wants to rescue the poor. 
He wants to turn them from someone who's lacking to someone who has an abundance. Stay with me. We're going to look at this in the Scriptures. Now, God's revealed us His will to us not only through Jesus, the living Word, but through His written Word. This book is a book on prosperity. That's, it really is. This is the book on prosperity, the Bible. I know it's been twisted and misused, and, and, and people say don't listen to any preachers who talk about prosperity. But the truth is, prosperity is who God is. It's his nature. It's his, it's his will. It's his, he doesn't know how to cause you to lack. He, can't, he, he, doesn't, he doesn't steal. He doesn't take away. He gives and he prospers. Health is prosperity. Did you know that? See, shalom, saved, sozo, soteri, all of these words that God uses for, for, for healing, for being saved, for, for prospering, that's, that's what Christ came to give you. It's the whole package that he came to give you. It's prospering in your mind, a healthy mind that makes sound decisions. It's prospering in your emotions where you don't overreact. You don't underreact. You've got joy and peace. It's prospering in your body where your body is healthy. It's prospering uh, it, where the purpose inside of you is, is being unfolded and you're, and you're fulfilling it. And whether that's starting your own business or, or continuing in your business or investing or, or as self-employed or as an employee, whatever God's leading you to do in this season of your life and doing well at it. That's what the gospel is. It's, it's you, be, you living this life of wholeness and victory. That's what sin prevented us from doing. Sin messed the whole thing up, but Christ came and redeemed us from the curse of sin. Okay? So that you could be whole and victorious in your life. No longer defeated. All right? Now, let's, let's start with the New Testament. We're going to go through the New and Old Testament. There is just not enough time in several days to go through all the scriptures on prosperity. I mean, you, you, you go ahead. You do a study on the scriptures in the Bible from Genesis to Revelation on prosperity. <laughs> Forget about it. You'll be there a while. But it's good to do, right? I've got, I've got lists. I group, I've got several documents. I used to do it in a hard copy notebook where I'd have all my memory scriptures. But then I, I moved it all to uh, word processors. So now on pages, my pages documents, I've got uh, my memory scriptures. I have them in different categories. I've got them by New Testament books. I've got them by Old Testament books. Then I've got them by topic, separate documents. So I'll group them, you know, by uh, wisdom, peace, health, prosperity. And that's another document, Okay. So it's good to go through the Word and take His promises and put them in categories. Okay, this applies to, and you'll find many promises apply to many categories of life, okay? So let's start in the New Testament all the way, almost to the end, in the third epistle written by John. This is John, who's the one who, who called himself the one whom Jesus loved, and that was true of all of us, but John was stood out because he focused on, on how much Jesus loved him. And there's a tremendous uh, truth in that. 
And we encourage that here at Highway. Don't focus on what you've done wrong or what you think you need to correct in your life or what you think you need to do uh, to love God more. And just put that all aside and focus on how much He loves you. It'll fix everything. It will fix everything. It'll put you into that mode of peace, into that unforced mode. When you focus on how much he loves you, the rhythms of his grace begin to flow. And, and it becomes, so, it becomes uh, effortless, really. It becomes a flow. And this is the key, focusing on how much he loves you. So, so John wrote this to believers in his third epistle, Uh, towards the end of the New Testament. He said, Beloved, in verse 2, only one chapter in this letter, he said, Beloved, I wish above all things that you may prosper. What's wrong with him? He didn't get the memo that you shouldn't preach prosperity, right? Because he spent time with Jesus. He knew it was a part of the nature of of the one he leaned his head on. Beloved, I wish above all things that you may prosper and be in health. What's God's will for you? To prosper and to be in health. Say it again. To prosper and to be in health. What's God's will for you? To prosper and to be in health. I know people are going to criticize you for it and call you all kinds of names, but what's God's will for you? To prosper and to be in health. I don't go around, you know, just saying that to everybody I meet because I know most people can't handle it, but you've got to be led by the Spirit, what you say and who you meet. But you've got to know this in your own life, and you've got to declare it over your own life. It's God's will for me to prosper and to be in health even as your soul prospers. Now, I'm just going to read through... <laughs> several scriptures, and I'm probably not going to stop much. So you can just write the references down, take pictures of the screen on your phone. So we just learned it's God's will. This is the Apostle John writing by the Holy Spirit to believers. Every promise in the scriptures from Genesis to Revelation has been made yes to us in Christ. When you come across a promise of God the Father, grab a hold of it. It's for you today. His promises never expire. Okay? Jeremiah 29, 11. Most of you know this one. This is God speaking through the prophet Jeremiah. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, to take from you and cause you to lack so that you'll learn to be humble. I'm sorry, I read that wrong. Let me read that again. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you. That's what he dreams about. That's what his vision is for your life. A prosperous life. And not to harm you Plan to give you hope and a future. Psalm 35, 27. Let them shout, Hallelujah! For joy. That's how you shout, by the way. Just demonstrating so you can do it at home. 
Please try this at home. You do not need any adult supervision. Let them shout for joy and be glad. Oh, you can choose it. Just choose to be glad. Just make that. From now on, I'm going to be glad. From now on, I'm going to be happy. From now on, I'm going to be glad. Tough what the devil says. That's, I, it's, that's the way I'm going to be from now on. That's the choice I've made. Let them shout for joy and be glad who favor my righteous cause. Let them say, what do we say with? Our mouth. That means it's going to produce words out of your mouth. You're going to hear it. Let them say continually, that's all the time, the Lord be magnified who has pleasure in the prosperity of his servant. The Lord be magnified who has pleasure in my prosperity. God be magnified. You take pleasure in prospering me. Are we reading the scriptures? Are we just speaking the word? Right? You let all that other controversy go and you stay with what God has said. Psalm 105, 37. Now you'll see in the scriptures, you'll see both wealth and you'll see poverty. You'll see the full spectrum of the human condition. But you'll see in the scripture, if you take your time and read it, those who followed God prospered exceedingly, so much so that those around them were in awe and either feared them or wanted in on it. Okay? So God's people, through their hardness of heart, put themselves into bondage to Egypt. wasn't God's will for them. Bondage is never the will of the Father. And, and, and they finally began to look to God for deliverance. And in one Night, God brought them out of hundreds of years of severe poverty and cruel treatment. Right? Broken bodies, diseased, poor. In one night, in Psalm 105, 37, it says, He brought them forth, forth also with silver and gold. The perhaps, I think at that time, maybe the wealthiest nation on earth, as their former slaves were leaving, they handed to them their wealth. It wasn't a great business idea the Israelites came up with. The Holy Spirit moved upon that pagan nation to plunder, to hand to God's people their wealth. Talking about the will of God. Why didn't he just leave them poor? Drag them out into the desert and keep them with nothing because that's not a good, good father. If you are a father and you want your child to be poor, there's something wrong with your thinking. That's perverted. I want my children to have an abundance of all good things, more than they could ever use. I want their children to have an abundance of good things, more than they can ever use. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. He brought them forth with silver and gold. We're just reading the Bible, right? You wouldn't get mad at someone for reading the Bible, would you? And there was not one 
feeble person among them. That means all of their sicknesses were removed. All of their injuries were healed. In one night, healthy and wealthy. Why? It's the will of the Father. It's God's will for you to be healthy and wealthy. Hallelujah. Psalm, excuse me, Proverbs 6, excuse me, Proverbs 10, 22. The blessing of the Lord causes problems. Boy, I'm sorry. The blessing of the Lord is difficult to manage. No, I'm sorry. The blessing of the Lord makes rich. One translation says brings wealth. Are you blessed? The blessing of the Lord, it makes rich, and he adds no sorrow to it. Amen. Isn't he good? Isn't he a good, good father? You qualify for this because of Jesus. Not because you have great business ideas. It's because Christ qualified you as one of God's very own children. Your Father's resources are now yours. <laughs> Isaiah forty-eight seventeen. Thus says the Lord, your Redeemer. We're talking about God, my source, right? Isaiah forty-eight seventeen. Thus says the Lord, your Redeemer. It's good to know He's your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. I am the Lord your God who teaches you to be poor. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm having trouble reading this morning. Who teaches you to profit. God will teach you to profit financially. It's good to train yourself to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. I'm the one, the Holy One. Holiness and prosperity go together. To be holy is to be prosperous. Do you know where the word holy comes from? It comes from the word W-H-O-L-E, whole. God's about your whole life prospering. He's the God of wholeness, the whole person, your whole circumstance, your whole situation, your whole life. Hallelujah, who teaches you to profit, who leads you in the way you should go. Let God determine uh, how you employ what's inside of you. You're not desperate. You don't need a job. You let the Holy Spirit lead you in the way you employ yourself. You're not trying to make ends meet. You're following the Holy Spirit and using your gifts and talents as He directs you. I'm not talking about choosing to be lazy or refusing to work. I'm talking about recognizing God as your source, not seeing yourself as needy, but directed by the Spirit in whatever uh, work you commit yourself to. It's a different way to live. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. God will lead you to work. He wants you to engage and to utilize what's inside of you and to be productive. That's a part of his plan for your life. 
but you want to enter into that by the leading of his Holy Spirit. You don't just want to take the first job that comes your way. You want to be discerning. Sometimes a job, a job looks like everything you wanted, but the Holy Spirit said, mm, hold on. He said, I want you to look over here. Or sometimes a job looks like that just ain't going to be the one for me. And the Holy Spirit says, go ahead. Just follow me and watch what I do. You've got you to walk. There's no, there's no uh, one right thing to do in every situation except listen to him. <laughs> Right? So what's, what's the right job for someone else may not be the right job for you because we're not cookie cutter people, right? We're, God has a unique plan for you, so, so interacting with him is essential to pro, true prosperity. Now, there are people who are very wealthy, but their lives are empty and miserable. They're not really enjoying true prosperity because pro, God's prosperity is not just for your finances. It's for your whole person. He adds no sorrow to it. He wants you to have an abundance of things with no sorrow. See? Where they don't have you at all. Right? You're free to enjoy the things he's given you. Uh, I, let's see. So let's go to 2 Corinthians 8, 9. I could just read these all day. They're so good, but I'll just give you a few more. Hallelujah. 2 Corinthians 8, 9. This is the Apostle Paul now by the Holy Spirit. We heard from the Apostle John. Now we're here from the Apostle Paul, 2 Corinthians 8, 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, uh-oh, Jesus was rich? Oh, yeah. When? On earth? What? What about all the paintings of him in rags? That's man's concept of the ministry of Jesus. I'm just going to pause here for a moment, and then we'll keep reading. Uh, it was like it was, uh, well, I, I've shared with you different people I've listened to over the years, but most recently, I don't know if it was this last Christmas or the Christmas before, Rick Renner, I don't know if you know who Rick Renner is, excellent Bible teacher who's been ministering in Moscow now for decades, but he did a series on Jesus at Christmas time and the value of the gifts that the Magi brought to him. And I've heard uh, someone else do a series on this, but he went into some things I, I didn't know. It was really cool. But I encourage you to check that out, Rick Renner Ministries. I don't remember the name of the series, but it was like around Christmas time of last, of 2020. But he talked about, and he, he's gone in, in depth into studying the cultures and, and the customs of the day and, and, um, and the scriptures and the Greek and the Hebrew. He really digs into it. It's really fun to listen to. But one of the things he shared is that those uh, magi that came from the east were greatly feared by the Romans because when they traveled, they, carried, they didn't come with three little guys on camels like we see in the you know, cute little kids' stories. No, they came with their own militaries, and they were fierce militaries that had previously defeated Herod. So if you'll read in the scriptures, he was troubled when they learned that when he learned that they were in town. He's like, they whipped me. What are they coming back for? Right? They were fierce. They were exceedingly prosperous. And the scriptures tell us that they were studying. They were studying their, their scrolls. They were studying the stars. They were trying to determine when the king of kings would come into the earth. And they knew the time was upon them. Now, historically, I, I, this is a great message. I'm just going to 
trying to be quick with this. But they, uh, historically, when they would come before a king, the wealth that they would bring the king was in proportion to the status of that king. So if he was a king of a little place, they'd bring a little wealth. If he was a king of a large nation, they would bring great amounts of wealth. Well, they were coming to what they believed, and they were right, the king of kings. And they brought a fortune. A fortune. I know that's going to be shocking to you, but it was. They, and, and they didn't just come and lay a little thing before the boy Jesus, who was two years old at that point. They had an entourage that was protected by full militaries. We don't know how many there were. And it, it took, they had to have strong soldiers carry that wealth into the house of the boy Jesus. I know this just blows your tradition away, but it's true. And Jesus was set for the rest of his life. And what's interesting to note is, um, according to Jewish tradition, uh, Joseph of Arimathea, if I understand it correctly, was uh, Jesus' uncle, I think. So it would have been his duty to oversee uh, their, their, their wealth when Joseph had passed, Jesus' dad. So when Joseph of Arimathea speaks of this wealthy man coming when Jesus was put in the tomb to get his body, he, the wealth that he had may have come from what Jesus was given as a child. Very fascinating. That's enough on that. You can study that out yourself, but Rick Renner did an excellent job, and this stuff will absolutely blow your mind. But I'm getting back to 2 Corinthians 8 9, where Paul says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, Yet for your sakes, he became poor. When did he become poor? On the cross. They stripped him of everything. He fully became the curse of sin on that cross. You can't get any poorer than that. Right? Why did he do this? He became poor that you through his poverty might be poor. Wouldn't that be wrong? <laughs> Wouldn't that be contrary to all that he went through? No, he became poor that you through his poverty might be rich. Will of God. When? Today. Now. Listen, you're not going to need any money in heaven. <laughs> really. Your inheritance is for now. Do you understand that? An inheritance is given when the one who's giving you that inheritance passes on. Jesus has left the earth. He's died. He's risen again. He's at the right hand of the Father. The inheritance the Bible speaks of is for you now. This is when you need it. This is when you need to access your heavenly inheritance and utilize it in the earth. It's time. 2 Corinthians, next chapter, chapter 9, verse 8. And God is able, this is the Amplified translation, and God is able to make all grace, every favor, and earthly blessing come to you in abundance so that you may always, under all circumstances, whatever the need be, self-sufficient, possessing enough to require no aid or support, 
and furnished in abundance for every good work and charitable donation. Powerful scripture. Philippians 4.19. We're going to keep moving. Philippians 4.19. Apostle Paul writing to believers in Philippi. But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Amplified says will liberally supply, fill to the full your every need. Hallelujah. All right. Now, this is God's part. Remember we said at the beginning there are two parts you need to know. You need to know God's part. What's his will? What has he done for us? So we know that through his son Christ, he's redeemed us from the curse of sin. He's revealed his will to us. Christ became poor that we might be rich, right? Now what's our part? Because even though it's God's will, it is not automatic. God's will does not automatically happen. Why? We're living in a fallen world. Satan's the God of this world. You have enemies. You have spiritual. I'm talking about, not talking about people. There are spiritual forces of darkness that want to mess you up. You may not believe it, but it's true anyway. You have authority over them in Christ. It's not to make you afraid, but you need to realize there are dark forces against you to try and keep you from experiencing the will of God in every area of your life. All right? Thank God he's a shield all about you. Right? But God, I'm saying that because you need to know there are thieves out there. Spirits of, yes, in the natural, but I'm talking about spiritual forces that try and take from you the word that you're hearing right now. And you go, you leave a service like this and, and someone, you're talking to someone about, you're kidding. They said, what? It's God's will for you to be rich? You go to a church that teaches that? What's wrong with you? I thought you were a Christian. I thought you knew the Bible. Why don't you read the scriptures? Right? And they start trying to tell you other things. You stay with the word. Right? And what's that? That's a, they don't realize it, but there are spiritual forces that work through that person. The person's not the problem. But they're trying to steal from you the word that you've heard. If you let someone take this word from you, you're not going to experience it. So my, what's our part? To believe him. What's his part? To uh, reveal his will to us and redeem us from the curse of sin. He's done that through Jesus. What's our part? To learn what he's done. (laughs) Now I say to believe it, but that word's gotten kind of watered down. Let me say it this way. To act on it. To act on what he's done for me. To build my life on what he's done for me. That's what Bible believing is. See, we talk about believing, and we think it's like, yeah, I, I, I mentally agree with that. That's not Bible believing. You sit there and say, well, yeah, okay, I agree with that. That's not believing. Believing is fully embracing what he said. And the result is that of, of biblical believing, I then act on it. If I'm not acting, on it and building my life on it, I'm not biblically believing it. 
When the Bible talks about faith and Jesus talked about believing, it was a strong, powerful word. It's being totally convinced of it and so convinced that I act upon it and I build my life on it. Hallelujah. Isn't that good? So God's part is to reveal his will to us, to redeem us from the curse of sin. He's already done that through his son, our part is to fully embrace what he's done. Coming here is a part of that, coming to highway, being fully committed to what God's provided for you here at highway. We are, we are committed to, to giving you the fullness of the gospel the best we can. We make mistakes. There's things we don't know. But the things that have been revealed clearly through the ministry of Christ, we boldly proclaim those. This is not a deep revelation that God wants you wealthy. This is, this is on the surface, okay? This is, this is clearly revealed, simple, basic, on the surface. God's will for you is prosperity, okay? Hallelujah. So our, our role is to fully embrace what God has done for us through His Son, right? To, to, to commit ourselves to it, to renew our minds with it until we get to the point that we're acting on it. All right? That takes time. I mean, there are times in my life I heard the word of God and it just hit me and I was off running. And those are awesome. But there are other times I was like, whoa. And I just had to sit on that thing. I had to go home and I just had to meditate on that and let it just unfold inside of me. So there are different times and different seasons, but to our role is to fully embrace what he's done for us through his son, right? And to meditate, to stay with it. Don't let Satan steal it from you. He'll try. He'll try. And he does it through religious tradition and Bible scholars, right? He'll try. Don't let him do it. You hold on to what God has said. You take these scriptures home with you. You meditate on them and find 10 or 15 more. Okay? You study it in the scriptures. Hallelujah. Now, when I become fully convinced of what God has done for me through Christ, the results are I begin making my decisions from that foundation. What he's done for me now becomes the foundation I build my life on. This is, this is what faith is. Bible faith is 100% of you. It's all that you are. It's being sure and certain that God is who he says he is. That he's done what he said he's done. Right? And I begin to build my life on it. I begin to act on it. It's all-consuming Bible faith. Changes everything. All right? So, this, this, my role now becomes a passionate relationship with him. I begin to now pursue him in every area of my life. This is our role, okay? We know God's role. This is our role. Let's look at a few scriptures on this. Proverbs 21, 21. See, now I've, I've, I'm, as I learn God's role, I become fully committed to him. I begin to pursue him. I, get, I fully embrace what he said and what he's done for me through his son. And now I begin to build my life upon it. I make every decision based on the foundation of what he's declared. 
and I begin to pursue him in every area of my life. Proverbs 21, 21, he who pursues, that's our part, right? God can't make us pursue. Do you know you determine what you crave in life? I like roasted pistachios with sea salt. That's good stuff right there. But I could choose not to eat that ever again. I just say, I don't want that anymore. You determine what you pursue in your life. No one else can do that for you. Well, the Scripture says that he who pursues righteousness and love finds life. Let me hear you say it. Prosperity. So righteousness and prosperity go together. Hello. We saw that holiness and prosperity go together. Makes sense. He who pursues right. So if I begin to pursue the one who made me, prosperity will follow. Unless I hold on to this idea that poverty is godly and God wants me to, to live with lack, then that's a block. And I'm not going to experience God in that area of my life. And that can happen. That doesn't mean a person doesn't love God or isn't serving God. They're serving according to what they've agreed is God's will, right? You can limit what God can do in your life by what you choose to believe. That's our, this is talking about our role now. I, I have chosen, I, I'm ready to drop anything I believe at a moment. The moment God, I see something in God's Word that, that challenges what I believe, I begin studying. Wait a minute, woo, woo, hold on. And I go through the scriptures and I dig in and it might take me weeks or months, but I want to be sure that I, before I let go of this thing that I know what God has said about it. Okay? Proverbs 22.4. Proverbs 22.4. By humility and the fear of the Lord are riches. Uh-oh. You see that word humility there? See that word riches? Are we reading the Bible? They go together. Humility, godly humility, brings riches. Am I making this up? Come on, help me. Are we just reading the scriptures? I, I mean, how many have been told in their religious tradition that humility and poverty, lack, go together? Isn't that what God says? We just read, that by humility, what's the fear of the Lord? I'm pursuing Him. I have this awesome reverence for Him that inspires me to run after Him to build my life on everything he's done for me, right? The results of humility, knowing who I am apart from Christ, who I am in Christ, and this awesome reverence of the Lord produces riches, honor, and life. Woo-wee! Psalm 112, verses 1 through 3. Praise the Lord. Oh, it's good to praise him, isn't it? Blessed is the man, talking about our part now, these scriptures, right? Blessed is the man that fears the Lord, builds his life upon everything he said, right? This is our part. That delights greatly. Who determines whether or not we delight greatly in something? We do, right? I just made up my mind. I'm going to delight greatly in God, in everything he said. I'm going to delight greatly in the Word. But I don't like to read. It's a long book. No, I'm going to delight in the Word of God. I'm going to crave this book for the rest of my life. I'm going to dig in this thing. I'm going to meditate in it. I'm going to learn it. I'm going to walk in it. I'm going to build my life on it. 
delights greatly in the commandments. You have to stir yourself up because your flesh wants you to, to sit down and but don't do it. Don't, tell, don't let your flesh tell you what to do. Delight yourself greatly in his commandments. Everything he said, I delight myself in. I'm choosing to do it. His, uh, his seed, that's his children, will, so what I choose to delight in affects my children. Woo. His seed shall be mighty upon earth. The generation of the upright shall be blessed. Why? Because the parents chose to delight themselves in the Lord. Wealth and riches shall be in his house. And his righteousness endures forever. We see humility. We see holiness. We see righteousness going with wealth and riches. If we study the Bible and divide the scriptures properly. Right? Hallelujah. Am I trying to twist this? Are we just going through the scriptures? Right? Come on. Use your own judgment. Don't get caught up in the controversy. All right. Let's get into this. Now, we're just going to finish this up here with Abraham and Peter. All right? Abraham and Peter. I'm going to give you a little summary on Abraham for time's sake, okay? So this, our part becomes this passionate relationship with the Father. We begin to relentlessly pursue Him, right? Like the father of our faith, Abraham. And we've talked about him various times here at Highway and just recently, right? Who grew up in a home that, that worshipped pagan idols, but at the age of 75, God called him out from that to follow the true and living God. And Abraham left. He said yes. He got his things together, got his immediate family together, his wife, and, and they, they moved on. Well, Abraham pursued God. And because he chose to crave God, to delight himself in God, God could bring the Messiah through him. I want you to follow this progression. God speaks to Abraham, God's part. Abraham receives what God says, our part. And then Abraham acts on what God says and builds his life upon it. It was a huge change for him, huge. Okay? But he did it anyway. In Genesis chapter 12, that's what we, we see uh, Abraham responding to the call and, and begins to build his life on the word that God brought to him. Now, in Genesis chapter 14, I'll give you the, the reference, Genesis chapter 14, verses 18 through 20. I'm just going to touch on it. Prior to that, in the preceding verses, enemies came against Abraham and his 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 traveling uh companions and his family and they took his possessions and Abraham went after them and gained everything back everyone was safe and sound gained all of his possessions back and he responds in worship to God Jesus appears to Abraham well I didn't know Jesus was in the Old Testament yeah he is he appeared to Abraham in Genesis 14 as Melchizedek the king of Salem Okay, we'll have to, I'd love to study that. We don't have time for it. And he brings forth bread and wine, and he was uh, celebrating with Abraham. Bread and wine were symbolic of a blood covenant. Okay? Uh, 
Hard not to stop and get into these things. Okay. And he blessed, he blessed Abraham. He blessed him. Okay, verse 20. And uh, blessed be the Most High God. Now look what happens here. Which hath delivered your enemies into your hand. That's what Jesus is declaring. And then uh, let's see. Uh, the last part of verse 8 says, And he gave him tenths of all. In other words, And Abraham gave Melchizedek 10% of all that he had. That's what a tithe is. Can you put the Living Bible translation up there? Look at this. Then Abraham gave Melchizedek a tenth of all the loot. I love the Bible, don't you? Now, you'll have to go to Hebrews to study Melchizedek, and when you do, you'll find out it's Jesus. He had no ancestry. He had no beginning, no end. He just appeared to Abraham. That's all we know about him. It was Jesus. Hello. You'll find that out in Hebrews, okay? So here it is. God calls Abraham. God's part. Abraham responds, acts upon the word of God. God delivers him. He, 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 he worships God with 10% of his loot, okay? 10% of his loot he gives to Jesus. Now, following this, we're talking about money. Tithing is so important in your pursuit of him. Not, it's not a have to. It's a wonderful privilege and intimacy with him. To give him 10% of my loot every week. Plus offerings on top of that. It's a privilege. Okay? After Abraham gives him the tithe. After. These are actions that Abraham is physically doing in the real world. We have to take real action in the real world. Faith results in real action in the real world. There's nothing fake about faith. All right? Abraham operated in faith as he tithed, and it was after that. Following, immediately following in chapter 15, God responds and gives him a vision. See, God is waiting to show himself to you, but as you respond to him, he's going to respond to you. Immediately after he brought him 10% of his loot, chapter 15, God gives him a vision that is beyond what Abraham could ever imagine. He says, your children are going to outnumber the stars. Talking to a man whose wife is barren, that's a big deal, right? Genesis 15. And then he says, in verse 1, he says, I'm your exceeding great reward. God says that to Abraham. I'm your victory and prosperity. This is after Abraham tithed. And you know what God did after the tithe? After he revealed the vision, Jesus appeared again to Abraham. God cut a blood covenant with Abraham. He had him divide uh, the, the sacrifices and put Abraham into a sleep. And in Genesis chapter uh, 15, verse 17, you'll, say, you'll see that a smoking furnace and a burning lamp passed between the pieces of that sacrifice. That was Jesus. 
don't have time to stop and, and go into depths on this. We're just going to keep moving. So you see uh, how, how God responds when we act in faith. Our faith, our confidence in him sets him, opens the door for him to do what he's been wanting to do all along. Okay? Now, can you handle just a little bit more? Five, maybe ten minutes and we'll be done. Trying to get through this, but I really believe that the Lord impressed upon me to share these things with you so that in your real life, you can take these actions and watch God move. Okay? Now, fast, you know Abraham lived hundreds of years before the law. Remember that. So important. There were no Ten Commandments, no Levitical priesthood, no Moses. Abraham was in a relationship with God based on what God said to him, period. All right? All right, later on, hundreds of years later, right, the, uh, God gives the Ten Commandments, the law to Moses because of the hardness of man's heart. And then fast forward, uh, so you got basically 2,500 years before the law is given, Abraham lived before that, uh, about 400-some about years before that. Then you've got 1,500 years of the law before Jesus came, a little less than that. And then at the last book in the New Testament, you've got this period of silence before Jesus comes. In Malachi chapter 3, verse 8, this is actually God speaking to the ministers, to the priests, not to the people. And God's upset with them. Because they haven't taught the people the importance of prosperity and God's plan. Verse 8, Malachi chapter 3. Will a man rob God? He's talking to the priests now. Yet you have robbed me. You say, wherein have we robbed you? In tithes and offerings. You are cursed with a curse, for you have robbed me, even the whole nation. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be meat in my house, and prove me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts. If I will not open you the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing, that there shall not be room enough to receive it. Let's keep reading to see what they were doing. And I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes, devourer for your sakes, and he shall not destroy the fruits of your ground, neither shall your vine cast her fruit before the time in the field, saith the Lord of hosts. And all nations shall call you blessed, for you shall be a delightsome land, saith the Lord of hosts. Verse 13, here's where the problem was. They were not bringing the tithes unto God. They weren't worshiping God with 10% of the loot. Okay? Your words, this is the priest now. These are the ones who are supposed to know better. Your words have been stout against me. Please stay awake. Your words have been stout against me, saith the Lord. You say, these are the ministers teaching, what have, what have, what have we spoken against you? And here's what they say. You have said it is vain to serve God. Those who are criticizing, ministers who teach about prosperity have no idea what they're doing. They're saying it's vain to serve God. Watch out. It's vain to serve God. 
And what profit is it that we have kept his ordinance? That is totally contrary to all the scriptures we just read. There was like, I don't know, 11 or so of them. There's a whole lot more. Ministers were teaching that it's God's will for you to be poor. It's vain to serve God. It's not going to profit us to tithe and to bring 10% of our loot. Ministers teaching that. I don't want to be a part of that. Do you? Right? I want to be in God's, God's plan. Right? I want to be doing things as the fathers instruct us to do. Now, I understand this was under the Mosaic Covenant. We're not under the Mosaic Covenant. But tithing is all throughout the Bible. Tithing is, is all precedes the Mosaic Covenant. It's during the Mosaic Covenant. And it's in the New Covenant. All right? Now, let's go to Acts and we'll be done. Chapter Acts. The last thing I want to do is put down a preacher who's teaching people to do things God's way. Last thing I want to do, I want to encourage, I want to listen to that preacher, right? I want to get their podcast and renew my mind to the truth of the scriptures we just read. Now, we're in the New Testament now. So we went before the Old Covenant, right? We went during the Old Covenant. Now we're in the New Testament, the New Covenant, right? In Acts chapter 2, the first gospel message is preached. Jesus has gone back to the Father. Holy Spirit has ascended. They're speaking in tongues. People are being healed and set free. Verse 37 of Acts chapter 2, the people hear the good news that Peter preaches, and their hearts are pricked. They're like, what do we do now? All right? Jesus, he says, repent, be baptized, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promises unto you, I'm in verse 39, I'm going quickly, and to your children and to all that are afar off, as many as the Lord our God should call. So what is Peter doing now? He's speaking on behalf of God. That's what a minister should do. And we all make mistakes, but we should do our best to say what God says. Not what religious tradition says or what controversy says. All right? Now, verse 41, their part, those who are listening, they gladly receive the word, it says. Right? If, if, because they gladly receive the word, they then act on it. It's impossible to receive God's word, biblically speaking, and not act on it. Once you get it, it's going to move you to action you'll enter into kind of a spiritual coma if you just keep listening to the Word and never do it. You, it'll tickle your you know, intellect and you'll, you'll think you're good, but you're not doing it. You've got to act on it. Shake that cobweb out. Get those cobwebs and just start doing it. Start acting upon it, right? Hallelujah. So they gladly received the Word. They were baptized, and that same day 3,000 souls were added, and look at verse 42. And then they didn't go away and never come back again because they received it. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. They became fully committed to what they were hearing that they wanted to learn and grow in it every day. And fellowship, breaking of bread, and in prayers, verse 43. And, the, uh, and fear, become, fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. Um, Verse 44, and all that believed were together and had all things in common. Verse 45, and sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all men and every, as every man had need. And they, uh, continuing daily with one accord in the temple. That's every day they came to the temple, came to church every day. 
and breaking bread from home to home. Did this every day. That's commitment, right? But no one told them to do this. This is love in action. You seeing that? They're selling possessions and bringing it into the church. Wow. Did they, did they uh, did eat their meat with gladness and, strength and singleness of heart? Singleness of heart. Praising God and having favor with all people. Let's go to Acts chapter 4 and we're done. Acts chapter 4. The, hallelujah. The Lord added to the church daily is how that verse uh, finished. Those who should be saved. Acts chapter 4, verse 34. Neither was there any among them that lacked. For as many as were possessors of lands or houses sold them. Talk about commitment. And brought the prices of those things that were sold. This is New Testament. No one told them to do this. They were pursuing Christ. They were gladly receiving the word, building their life upon it, and acting upon it, and bringing their loot to God. Just like the father of the faith did back in Genesis, right? Hallelujah. For as many as were possessors of lands or houses sold them and brought the, price, excuse me, brought the prices of the things that were sold and laid them down at the apostles' feet. What a scandal that would be to man, right? It's godly. Are we reading it in the Scriptures? But you have to get the reality of God your source, God your provider, and realize we're in a network together, that this place is part of God's network for your life, that this is a porthole for God to move in your life. They recognized God's system. They laid them down at the apostles' feet, and distribution was made unto every man according as had need. Uh, let's see. And uh, Josie's who by the apostles was surnamed Barnabas, which is being interpreted the son of consolation, a Levite uh, of the country of Cyprus, having land, sold it, and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Wow. This is real life, guys. Now, no one's telling them they had to do this. That's very important. If you make this mandatory, mandatory, you've blown the whole thing. This has to be a heart thing. All right? That's what, that's what uh, socialism and communism tries to do, is, is to make it mandatory. Right? What you've got to give, what you've got to do. Right? And it ends up making uh, poor people poor. Communism and socialism never work. It's a faulty way of thinking. This has to be of your own free will. This has to be a revelation of God being your source. All right? So there are a lot of things God wants to do in the remainder of this year. We're in our sixth month of 2020 win, 2021. 2020 win, I like that too, right? But what he wants to do really depends on how willing I am to pursue him as far as me experiencing it. I want to exhort you, there's, there's not a stitch of coincidence about us being here this morning, about this highway family, both online and in this warehouse. I'm telling you there are things God has been waiting to do in your life, but he can't do until you're all in. Because if you're 70% in, it's like you're, you've got this barricade up and God can't break it down. Because you have a free will. You've got to be all in. 
And tithing is, is a, a fruit of being all in. It's, it's an indicator of your heart commitment to him. It, it's not, it's in the Old Testament, in that 1490-year period, it was a command, all right, because their hearts were so hard. But in the New Covenant, it's a response. And in Abraham, it was a response. No one told them to do anything. All of us have loot coming. They're talking about a new, first thing I do when I, any kind of increase, you know, talking about this uh, uh, part of a stimulus plan where they're going to increase child tax credit and start issuing a check in July of, of so much amount per child. Well, so right away I say, okay, I'm going to tithe on that. First thing in my mind. That's, that's more I'm going to give to God. It's increase. It's loot. It's coming my way. It's not owed to anyone. I'm going to tithe on it, right? Any increase, the first thing I think when increase comes my way, whoever it's from, I'm going to tithe on it. Someone blesses you and hands you an amount of money. Okay, God, I'm going to bless you with this. I'm going to tithe on this, 10% at least, right? Tithing becomes this, this way of thinking because I'm tied up with him. I'm in his network. Right, I'm sowing and I'm reaping, and I want his provision to be free to flow in my life. I don't want to block the flow. And what's wonderful about tithing is anybody can do it because it's a percentage of what you currently have. So it's just it's 10% of, of my loot. So my loot could be a dollar or it could be a million dollars. It's 10%. So it's, it's consistent for everybody. Now, if God, God would say, you've got you to gotta, you gotta give $100,000, well, some can do that, some can't. He didn't say that. And he didn't say, you got to either. He gives us a principle of this relationship where we realize he's our source. And when some uh, loot flows our way, we channel part of that back to him. We recognize there's a heavenly flow in our lives. We're not like the world. We're not trying to make ends meet. We have supernatural provision. The blessing of the Lord is upon our lives. And that blessing brings wealth and adds no sorrow to it. We're pursuing him and we're, we're finding righteousness and life and prosperity and honor and riches. These things are, are, are flowing in our lives because the maker of heaven and earth is our father and he's a good, good father. And he, he, he causes us to prosper and to be in health each day of our lives. See? So I'm exhorting all of us to, to be all in. And to, to cultivate this intimacy with the Father. And it's fun. There are times, you know, where I sold something in my life or, and, and, and I say, you know what, I'm just going to bless God with this. <laughs> and bring it into the church and worship God with it. Or just a big check came my way uh, and I said, you know what, I'm just going to take this whole thing and bless God with it. Those are some of the funnest times. And, you know, it, it's, a, it's a, a wonderful thing to be cared for by God because I never have to be afraid again that I'll be without. I can be sure that every need is met abundantly. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for being our source. We thank you, Lord, for causing us through your incorruptible seed to be reborn. We're new creations in you. We're not of this world. 
We're born of you. Heaven is our home. Your kingdom is within us. Lord, we choose you as our source. We choose to receive your word and build our lives upon it and act upon it in real life. And we thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. God is so good. We want to invite you to continue to grow in the knowledge of his goodness, who he is, what he's done for you, and who you are in him. Check out our websites at josephbosco.us and highwaychurch.us and begin living the abundant life he came to give you. 